today's message is a, a spirit-filled Christmas, right? A spirit-filled Christmas. Lessons from the first Christmas family. And let's start off by talking about family. You know, family isn't humanity's idea. Family is God's idea. God has always been a family. Do you know that? He has always been a family. He has never not had a family. God is a, a triune God. God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Ever. From the beginning of, from wherever there is no beginning and there is no end, He has always been Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He is a family. And because He is a family, He is holy. He's a holy God. He's set apart from everything, right? There is nothing in creation, there is nothing that is that is seen or unseen, that is anything like God. He is the one that is truly set apart from all humanity, right? And He has placed us in Him through Christ Jesus, so He makes us holy. But He is holy, but because He's family, He is also love. The only reason we can say God is love is because He is family. He is always loved. The Son loves the Father. Holy Spirit loves the Son. The Father loves Holy Spirit and, and the Son. They, they, they have always communed in love. So John can say that God is love. And family is the foundation of all societies. When the families crumble, society crumbles. And there's many types of families. There's many types of families. There's, there's, there's families by blood. There's families by decision. There's spiritual families. I like to say that we are a church family, right? You can be, since God's a family, you can be in, you are in His family. You are a child of God, right? And God is a family and He loved. And what happens when two people come together and they love one another? They say, we need to share this love with someone else. And so they have offsprings to share their love. God did not create us so that He would have someone to love Him. He already had that. He created us so He would have someone to shed His love upon. And He created us. But the issue with this is, is that in order for us to truly love God, we had to have the ability put within us to be like God, to choose to love Him back. To receive His love and to love Him back. And you guys know the story. Adam and Eve, they chose not to love God. They chose to hide from God. They chose to be God, independent from God, just like many of us do to this day. And God came looking for Adam and Eve because he wanted to reclaim their love. It's the ultimate love story. God chasing after his beloved to rescue her from destruction. Every single movie, every single book, 
tells the same story of the gospel, of a hero, of someone that loves someone so much that they're willing to give up their very own life to rescue them. And that's the story of our God. That's the story of our Savior. That's the story of Christmas. Because God desires a family. God works through families. And this morning you might be saying, well, my kids are all grown out there. I don't really feel like a family. I've lost loved ones. I don't feel like a family. You have family. You have family in God. You have family in the church. You have family with friends and relatives. You are in family. Do not allow the enemy to take you and set you aside as that, that you no longer are part of a family. You are part of a great family. And in Luke chapter 1, verse 5, it says, When Herod was king of Judea, there was a Jewish priest named Zechariah. He was a member of a priestly order of Abijah. Abijah. And his wife, Elizabeth, was also from the priestly line of Aaron. Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes. Think about this. This is high praise. This is high praise right here. They, they were sinners. They were in need of a Savior. But in God's eyes, they were righteous, uh, careful to obey all the Lord's commandments and regulations. They had no children because Elizabeth was unable to conceive and they were both very old. Jesus' earthly family had a godly legacy. These two individuals, um, Elizabeth and Zechariah, Elizabeth was Mary, Jesus' mother's cousin. So these were Jesus' cousins. This was part of Jesus' family, right? And they had a godly legacy. And Luke tells us that Elizabeth comes from many generations of ministers, right? It says that Elizabeth came from the line of Aaron, right? So she was in a, had a godly heritage of people that ministered and served the Lord. And so was Zechariah. So, so did Zechariah. And Zechariah was a priest. And he was a priest. He probably worked in a synagogue or something outside of Jerusalem. And every once in a while, he would, it would be his turn to go work at the temple. Right? So he was like a pastor of a small church outside of Jerusalem. And every once in a while, he got called up to the big leagues. Right? And they both loved the Lord. And they both served the Lord faithfully in ministry, even though they had a pain point. They had a point of pain in their life. And what does this show us? This shows us that you can be serving God faithfully, you can be acceptable and and righteous in God's eyes, and still not have everything going perfectly in your life, still experience pain because we fall we, we, we live in a fallen world. Do you understand that? They had a pain point. And what was that pain point? Their pain point was they haven't, hadn't been blessed with a child. That's, that's revelation for many of you that the Bible calls children a blessing. Children are blessed, a blessing. And they need to be protected. So they had this pain point that they were serving the Lord, but they didn't have a child. And what does that mean, that they didn't have a child? That means that 
They had no one to take care of them in their old age. They had no one to take over the family ministry because that's what would happen is that they'd raise up another generation and they would be taught by their fathers and they would take over that priestly, that priestly duties in the line of Aaron. They had no one to pass it on to. They, they had, they, they had, here they are, religious people. And is, is this true about religious people? When you see something happen, bad happen in another Christian's life, you think, I wonder what sin they did to deserve that. So maybe the, maybe the city, maybe the town that they were pastoring in, they, they, they were thinking, I wonder, I wonder what they did. Maybe they're not as righteous as they look. Maybe they're not as what they seem to appear. Maybe, maybe, maybe they have something that keeps God from opening up Elizabeth's womb and blessing them with a child. For years, Zechariah travels to Jerusalem. And just to point out, there was another family in the Bible that had the same problem. There's multiple families. But one was Abraham and Sarah, right? And Abraham and Sarah, they were promised a child. But they didn't understand. They couldn't see how that would be possible. So what Sarah did is says, I got an idea. You get a girlfriend. And then you'll have a child to her and that will be the fulfillment of the promise. And we know how that turned out, right? It just turned into baby mama drama. We're still, we're still experiencing that to this day. What's happening in Israel today is because of that poor decision. That not trusting God, not understanding that God is a God that can do miracles. He can do things that you can't, you can't even grasp or understand, right? But, but here... Here, Zechariah and Elizabeth, they don't have a child, but instead of trying to do something in their own strength or in their own ability or, or to sin or commit adultery like Abraham and Sarah did, they didn't get bitter. They just continued serving God. They continued serving God. That just shows you so much of their heart, doesn't it? And, and Zechariah, he, he travels to, to Jerusalem but the problem is, is the odds never fall in his favor um, for that once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to go into the Holy of Holies, to the temple, throw some incense and coals on the coals, and to say a prayer. That's, that's his whole life goal right there is to do that. And, but one day, Zechariah's big moment finally arrives. It's the day he waited almost his entire life for. And in verse 8 it says, Now while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of priests, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple. That means they, they, they rolled dice and it fell to him to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of people were praying outside at the hour of incense. While Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the incense altar. Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear and he, when he saw him. But the angel said, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. See, that's, this is something that Zechariah has been praying for. He's still praying for. He, he, God has heard your prayer. Your, your, 
Your wife, Elizabeth, will give you a son, and you are to name him John. You will have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. So here's John. He's going to be great. And what's interesting is that there's a gentleman that's, that's running Judea at this time named Herod the Great. And he thought he was great. But God is saying there's going to be one born that's, that is great. And his name's going to be John. He must never touch wine or other alcoholic drinks. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth. And he will turn many Israelites to the Lord their God. He will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. And he will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. Jesus' cousins did not come from money. They did not come from power. But they all had the Holy Spirit. It says that they were all filled with the Spirit. In Luke chapter 1, verse 41, it says, Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In Luke chapter 1, verse 67, it says, Zechariah was filled with the Spirit and prophesied. Not only was Jesus' cousin Spirit-filled, but so was Jesus' mother. Jesus' mother, Mary, is a young woman. She's living a quiet life in the town of Nazareth. Now, when you think of Nazareth, you think of nowhere. You know, you ever, you ever drive in somewhere and say, yeah, we got gas, we were out in the middle of nowhere. That's, that's where Nazareth is. There's nothing there. there it's, it's nothing important. Nothing. There's no reason to go through Nazareth unless you're lost. Right? And, and so, this is where she comes from. And, and she's a young young girl, some say from 14, 15, 16 years old, the, the angel Gabriel comes to Mary and tells her that she will conceive a son. Think about this. Here's this young girl in a small town, and here comes this, she has this encounter with an angel and says that you will become pregnant. And it will be through the Holy Spirit. And you shall not know a man. And you are betrothed. You are engaged. You are betrothed to a man. And now you have a decision. Do I accept what God is wanting to do in my life? And do I take on the responsibility of being mocked? Of being called an adulteress? To losing my future husband, to being ostracized from my family, to maybe even having my life taken from me. And what was Mary's response? What was Mary's response? It's legendary. Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. She is a humble young girl. She has a simple but sincere faith in God. 
Mary believes God. And her son one day would echo those same words in the Garden of Gethsemane um, as Jesus is atoning for the sins of the world through the shedding of His blood. He, he says to the Father, Your will be done. Your will be done. He's echoing His mother. I don't know, maybe does mothers have influence on their sons. Mary is unmarried. She's poor. She's young. And she's pregnant with God. I would say that Mary has a lot to worry about. There's cause for anxiety and fear and, and dread. But instead of worrying, Mary starts worshiping. In Luke chapter 1, verse 46, it says, And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in the God, my Savior. See, Mary is a, is a, is a human. She's, she's just like you and I. She's a, she was a sinner that needed a Savior. And she says that Jesus would be, her child would be her Savior. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in the God, my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. Amen. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in their thoughts of, of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. Filled with the Spirit, Mary's Spirit, collides, intersects with Holy Spirit, and it produces a beautiful, spontaneous, anointed act of worship. It's amazing. Things that would cause most people to, to crumble, to fear. When Holy Spirit collides with faith, with you, when it collides with you, it just it just magnifies and it empowers and gives hope and beauty and celebration. See, we in this day and age, it's hard to completely understand Mary and Joseph's sacrifice that they made. Many, Mary, she, she risked losing her fiancé. Do you understand that? She risked her reputation being destroyed. I mean, Mary took her relationship with God. She, she took her purity. She took who she was in the eyes of the Lord very, very seriously. And she was about to throw it all away in the act of trying to follow and serve God. She had to turn her back on society. She had to turn her back on all the value that 
and, and your identity that you get from your, your family, your friends, your community. She had to turn her back on all of that to receive the blessing of the Christ. Joseph, I mean, he realizes that this boy is going to be called illegitimate. Right? He's going to be called, and his beautiful, his beautiful wife, his, the, the one that he loves, would be considered and called unfaithful and adulterous, and he would be considered a fool for the rest of his life. These are the decisions that the first Christmas family had to make in order to follow God. This is a fate that they didn't, they didn't have to accept. Joseph, you know, he seems to be more of a, a doer than a talker. There's not a lot mentioned about him in Scriptures. But he gets a lot of visits from angels, right? And every time he's told to do something by God, he does it immediately. He's a doer. God speaks. This is what he said to do. We're doing it. I mean, it's one thing to move across town it's, or to another house, but you know he had to pack up and move to a completely different country. And seeing that Jesus will not be his biological son, Joseph stands as a hero for foster parents, for adoption, and blended families. Because Joseph chose to do what the Lord had called him to do, Jesus had an earthly father. We get the impression that he's quiet, he's humble, he's a godly man whose most significant ministry will turn out to be working an honest job, loving his wife, obeying God, Raising godly children. Godly kids. Godly kids that change the world. In Luke chapter 1, verse 39, it says, In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country, to the town of Judea. And she entered the house of Zechariah and was greeted and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. So Mary shows up to Elizabeth. They greet one another. And John the Baptist, John, the one that was filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb, when they embraced, when their bellies touched, John did a backflip. That's the type of guy John was. He, he, did, he did a backflip. He was, and, and, and it says that his mother was filled with the Holy Spirit. Do you, see, do you see something that keeps reoccurring in the story of Jesus' family? Being filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me. For behold, when, I, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. 
This is unusual for the day and time and the culture of, of this time. The older woman would not normally bless the younger woman. It was usually the younger woman that would bless and honor the older woman. So this, this right here was a God thing. This was a thing of God, once again, stepping out of cultural norms and moving. And it says that Jesus' cousin John was filled with the Holy Spirit. And John is known by God. He is filled with the Spirit and named with a calling of destiny on his life before his eyes ever see the sunshine, before his face ever feels the wind, before um, air even enters into his lungs, John has a calling on his life. John is filled with the Holy Spirit. There can be no stronger portrait of personhood in the womb than this. Of how God sees a child in the womb. And I'm going to say something here because I love Jesus more than all of you. You you cannot be a biblical Christian. You cannot have the heart of God and be pro-abortion. We already read in Luke chapter 1, verse 15, that Gabriel stated that John would be filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb. In verse 66, it also said that the hand of the Lord was with him. That's another way of saying that the Holy Spirit would be present with him, in him, and through him through his entire life. As Jesus said to John, John, Jesus said of John that he would be the greatest, he would be the greatest of, the, of those that had ever lived, those that had ever been born of a woman. John was the greatest. He says, yet the least in the kingdom of God is even greater. John was great by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we have that same opportunity to be great to the power of the Holy Spirit and the new birth of Christ in us, the hope and glory. John was a wild man. You know, it said that he would be a Nazarite. He wouldn't drink any strong drink and all of, all of that. This is probably why, because he had one of those, those personalities. You know those personalities? Some people shouldn't drink because they're hard to handle when they're sober. Right? He, he was a wild man. He lived in the desert like some kind of Jedi trained trained under the Holy Spirit in the, in, in the desert. He had a robe of what camel hair. He ate bugs, honey, and people flocked to him. People flocked to him. Because John was not all about John. John was all about Jesus. John was all about Jesus. Soon as his, as, as his ministry was just ramping up, things were really going good. He was attracting big crowds, he ends up having to turn willingly everything over to Jesus. He turns it over to Jesus. Which is why a good majority of Jesus' disciples were actually John's disciples beforehand. He, he, he just turned everything over. So, so Jesus' cousins, Zechariah and Elizabeth, were spirit-filled. Jesus' earthly parents, Mary and Joseph, were spirit-filled. Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist, was spirit-filled. Jesus' half-brothers and sisters were also spirit-filled. 
Even though they, they doubted that Jesus was God when Jesus was alive, right? At one point, I think in the, in the Gospel of, of Mark, it says that they thought that he had gone insane because he's, he's, he's saying, I'm God, I'm God. And they, and they tried to come and take him away, right? So they, went, they, they had, it was hard for them to grasp that, that their brother was God. I mean, how many of you would have a hard time starting a religion and following your brother, right? He's something, but he's not God, right? I think he's the one with the horns and the pitchfork and the, and the tail. That's, that's who my brother is, right? Can you imagine growing up with that brother? Can you, can you imagine growing up with Jesus? I mean, you're, you're, you're picking a fight with Jesus and your mom or dad comes in and says, I know it's your fault because it's not Jesus' fault. He goes, how do you know it's not Jesus' fault? Well, what does your bracelet say? He says, what would Jesus do? Apparently you weren't doing it. Right? That, that would be miserable, miserable growing up with Jesus. But anyways, they had a hard time grasping that Jesus was God. But then something happened. They seen their brother crucified. They seen their brother put in a tomb. And they seen their brother raised from the dead. And they no longer called Him brother. They called Him Lord, God, and Savior. On Pentecost, it says that Mary, the mother of Jesus, and His brothers were with the other disciples. And they were what? Filled. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, James, Jesus' brother, ended up becoming a leader. The leader of the Jerusalem church. Right? And he, he, there's a book after his name. James. And, and, and it says that, that they came to James and they told him, your brother is not God. Your brother is not the Messiah. Denounce him or we're going to throw you off the pinnacle of the temple. The same temple that Jesus... Satan took Jesus to. And he says, I cannot deny my brother is God. And history tells us that they threw him off the temple to die. And when they went down to the ground, he was still alive. And they said, deny him or we'll stone you to death. And he says, I cannot deny my Lord and my Savior. And they picked up stones and they killed him. How many of you would go through something like that to say that your brother was God? Then Simeon, history tells us that Simeon takes, uh, takes over the role of the leadership in the Jerusalem church. You know who Simeon was? Jesus' other half-brother. So as one brother gets murdered, gets killed, gets martyred, and who's the next one up in line? Jesus' other brother. And then you have Jude. Jude is another brother of, 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 of Jesus. He's a leader in the church. He wrote the, a book in the Bible by his name, Jude. 
And we know that James, Simon, and Jude, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. This is Jesus' family. This is the first Christmas family. Think about it. Joseph and Mary have at least three children in significant ministry roles in addition to their son, Jesus the Christ. How do you produce a family like this? Through the power of the Holy Spirit. Everyone is familiar with Jesus' role and how His life had an impact on all of eternity. Right? We all know that. But most of us overlook the big role of Jesus' family and the role that it played in history. They continued Jesus' ministry in the earth. Jesus would not have a, have a continual ministry in the earth without His family. What about your family? And like I said, we all have families. We have friends that are just like family. We, we, have, we have, some of us are young families and we're, and we're growing, growing up young children to become faithful servants and lovers of God. Some of, some of us have the church family is their family. We all have, we all have families. And the question is, what about our families? How can your family continue a godly legacy like the first Christmas family? See, if you come from an ungodly family, you can choose today to chart a new course. Maybe you didn't come from a Christian family. Maybe you, you, you didn't have godly parents. Maybe you weren't taught in the ways of the Lord. But today, you can choose to start a new legacy in the family of God. And some of you came from great families. Some of you came for, were taught from the Lord from a young age. Some of you have more responsibility on your life than others because of your godly heritage. And we must not take that heritage, we must not take the training and, 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 and the, the, the care and the love and, and the, and the, and the uh, um, role, the role model that your parents played your grandparents played in your life in demonstrating a godly legacy. What it looks like to serve God. What it looks like to be filled with the Holy Spirit. What, what it looks like to live out destiny. Because there's lots of children that choose to leave a godly legacy because they, in their pride and rebellion, choose their own way. Just like Adam and Eve. And there's Lots of children that were born in situations that looked like there was no hope that they charted a new path and a new destination. They left that old family tree because they have a new family tree in Christ Jesus. We want our families to be godly. We need to learn the lessons from the first Christmas family, Jesus' family. In Jesus' family, God 
was the center of their universe. God was the center of their universe. Now, families are a lot like the earth. Uh, just as our planet was created to orbit the sun, our souls are created to orbit God. You were created for God to be the center of your universe. Apart from God, we don't know who we are. We don't know where we belong, why we're here, or where we're even going apart from God. Tragically, many families forget, ignore, leave the God whom they were created to orbit. When, when they do this, they pick something other than God to function as the center of their lives. Now everybody say, I love Pastor Chad. Okay. There are decisions that we had to make, me and Amanda and I had to make in our family. You know, cultures changed. Wednesday night church is not as important as it used to be. Sunday church isn't as important as it used to be. We raised our kids in the same culture that you guys are living in right now. We raised our kids in sports where they had traveling softball. And our kids had to, which I just heard just the other night, had to face the backlashes from their coach and other teammates because they would be late on Sunday because they would go to church before they went to the game. You know, there's a lot of people that you say, hey, they're such a nice family. And then all of a sudden their kids just go nuts. They don't want nothing to do with God. They don't want nothing to And you don't understand it because they're such a nice family. Being a nice family doesn't matter. Does your family orbit around God? There are many people, again, I love everybody, and I say this a lot, there's many people that aren't in church today. Why? Because they got more important things to do. It's Christmas after all. We have a vast majority of churches when Christmas falls on Sunday that they don't even have service. What does your soul orbit? What do your children see? What does your children see is the center of your universe? Jesus' family, the center of their universe was God. Jesus had the Lord as their center. This held their family together. It kept them strong. It kept them unified. Even through the biggest pains and sufferings and sorrows. Even with, that, with having lack and not having power or status. It kept them healthy. In Jesus' family... The presence of God directed them. The, uh, the power of God sustained them. The power of the Holy Spirit enabled Jesus' family to serve in ministry, even under persecution, even under trials and tribulations. 
When you have the religious leaders of their day saying, isn't this a carpenter's son? We know who our father was. Who was yours? See, when you read that, you don't read it that way. You don't understand what they were saying. They were saying, you're a bastard. You're illegitimate. We know we're good, upstanding people. You are not. Many parents want their children to have a relationship with Jesus. And I agree, we should all want our children to have a relationship with Jesus. That is number one. But just as important, we also need to teach our children to have a relationship with Holy Spirit. With Holy Spirit, the helper, the counselor, the strengthener, the advocate. Jesus' family proves that more than money, more than fame, more than power, the key to a good family is each member continually being filled with Holy Spirit. Jesus said He came not to be, not to be served, but to serve. And this was demonstrated not only in His life, but also in His family's lives. Was it not? Did not Joseph demonstrate a servant? Did not Mary demonstrate a servant? Did not his brothers demonstrate serving the Lord to the ultimate sacrifice of giving their very own lives? All of Jesus, Simon, um, Jude, James, they were all martyred. They all gave their life for Jesus. A servant gives. A consumer takes. A servant does what's best for others. A consumer takes what is needed for themselves. One of the, one of the, the modern church has one major big flaw. It tries to provide religious goods and services to families who act like consumers. They act like customers. They come to church as a customer. Serve me. Meet my needs. Meet my children's needs. This is why so many churches have messages and missions that are determined by their customers. They're afraid to ruffle any feathers. They never need to say, I love Pastor Chad. Instead of families serving in ministry themselves, they, they shop for the church that tells them what they want to hear and provides the services that they want to receive. Many families are weak because instead of going to the spiritual gym themselves, being taught the Word, being taught how to be ministers of the Gospels themselves, they hire professional fitness coaches to go to the gym for them while they sit and watch them exercise. Jesus lived a Spirit-filled life. It says that Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit. He went about doing good. Healing all that were oppressed of the devil. Because God was with Him. And Jesus 
family served by being Spirit-filled. This was a ministry family. Ministry just means serving. This was a family that served. A great family with a great legacy only happens when the Lord is the center of each family member's life and each member surrenders to Holy Spirit and serves by the power of Holy Spirit. God has a ministry for each and every family. It might not be to plant a church or some big lofty thing. Maybe it's just to join a church and, and help to build up a church. See, we don't know a whole lot about Jesus' stepdad, Joseph. We don't know a lot about all the rest of Jesus' siblings because they served more quietly, but they did serve God faithfully. The family of God is the same as any family. Everyone has an important part to play with some people serving in ways that are unseen. They're unseen by us but they're seen by God. When's the last time you invited Holy Spirit into your family? When's the last time you prayed and asked Holy Spirit to fill your family? When's the last time you asked Holy Spirit to reveal to you and your family your ministry what you've called, what it might be. When is the last time you asked God to reveal that to you and your family? How and where would God have you serve? Which gifts of the Spirit have been given to you and your family members to serve God? We serve by grace. We don't serve by... the the sweat of our own brow. We don't sweat, serve God with our own strength, our own abilities, our own wisdom, our own anything. We take what we have and we ask God to empower through Holy Spirit and we serve by the anointing and the power of the Holy Spirit. Today, this Christmas, know that God loves you and you are His family. And He invites you to do Spirit-filled ministry just as Jesus and His family did. Amen? Amen. Let's ponder these things as we watch, watch this video. There's a voice that calls life from unexpected places. Barren lands will flourish with new creation. There's one who is searching for the pure in heart, waiting to find those who will trust. So what choice will you make? Because it may feel like choosing between life and death. Take her as your wife. But look closer. All he has ever offered us is life. Messiah. You see, God has come to the most unlikely people, urging them to follow. 
asking them to trust. The stories have been told for centuries. The wait is nearly over. Today, our Savior is born to bring light into dark places, to be the voice in the wilderness, to call you to come home, to bring joy to the world. God has chosen you and he does not make mistakes. God's timing is not our timing. His love is not our love. He's turned his love into flesh and blood and for that, we rejoice, Emmanuel. So don't wait, don't pack, don't plan, just go. There is a world lost and hungry. There is a world lonely and wandering. And he has called us to go and tell them. Go and tell them what God is doing. Go and tell them that God is coming. Go and tell them. God is here. You've been listening to a message from Karis New Testament Church. For more information or to contact us, go to www.karisntc.org. And remember, you are deeply loved highly favored and destined to reign in Christ Jesus.